reading from Mark 15, 33 to 37. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. Jesus had been hanging on the cross for about three hours by noon. In that time, he endured the mockery of the thief next to him and various random doctors of law and priests who walked past. We're not told what anyone thought about the darkness or indeed what caused it. Was this some sort of reflection of the father turning his face away from his son, or in some way creation showing its revulsion at the creator's pain and imminent death. We don't know. It's mysterious. Jesus was now, I think, about as, as alone as a person can get. John and the four women are off to the one side, but no one else who cared, him, cared for him who loved him, is even in sight. In his spirit, he reaches out for his father, but for the first time, he just can't find him. He's truly alone now. As the song says, hands that flung stars into space have surrendered to cruel nails. And even here at the very end, he is misunderstood. He cries out to Eloi, which was God in Aramaic, the local language. But some fool thinks he's crying out to Elijah the prophet. Now because Elijah had ascended straight to heaven, in the local myth he was considered to be still alive and prone to bailing out people who were lost causes. They think that Jesus is calling Elijah to try to help him get down from the cross. Even on his last day, he's been misunderstood. Pete's door over here this week is interesting. It's very Middle Eastern. Its shape is a bit like one of those Middle Eastern minarets when they sort of come in like that before they go out again. And indeed, the colour of Islam is green. And Jesus is quoted in Aramaic, which was the day-to-day -day language of the whole region at that time. And you can see that the word abandoned is sort of all topsy-turvy. I think reflecting the emotion that that word evokes. It's like being in an earthquake where the ground is moving underneath your feet. You're bewildered, you're uncertain. It's scary. And the question mark at the end, 
which I don't know if you'll even be able to see here because it's so faded. It's as if Jesus' energy has just dissipated as he's asked this question, why have you forsaken me? And it's just run out of gas at the end. He's done. Brian is an older relative of mine. He's in his 80s now. But when he was a little kid, he was quite a naughty high-maintenance boy. When he was about six, he was biking on the road and hit by a car and ended up in hospital for traction, in traction for weeks. You know, traumatic for a little kid to go through, but you'd get through these sorts of things with the help of your parents. Well, no. They never came to get him. He has not seen his mother or his siblings since and his father just once. Eventually, an aunt and uncle came for him and he lived with them with their son, who was his good mate. But a couple of years later, that boy died. And so Brian ended up in an orphanage. This is what abandonment looks like. It scarred Brian. He was never able to be faithful in a relationship with a woman, and he was not a steady dad for his kids. Very charming, but not a good lover and not a good father. Abandonment is a big deal. It does damage. And Jesus here is facing it. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And people, Christian people like you and I, over the years have struggled like mad to make sense of those words. And you can understand why. Many have pointed out that these are the opening words of Psalm 22, which is true. They are. And if you read that psalm, there are some stunning parallels between this picture of Jesus on the cross and that psalm. Uh, the mockers, the physical suffering that the psalmist is experiencing, the piercing of his hands and his feet, and most compelling of all, I think, in the psalm, they cast lot, lots for his clothing. Psalm 22 is a very old prophetic picture of Jesus on the cross. And Psalm 22 has a hopeful ending as the despairing psalmist rediscovers his hope in God and God's deliverance. So the theologians have thought, well, Jesus here, he's not really feeling abandoned. He's trying to point to the hopeful ending that's just around the corner with the resurrection and forgiveness and all that. I think they, and perhaps we, can be uncomfortable with the idea of our God and Saviour saying that he's been abandoned and that he's crying in confusion. Doubt, even. Jesus' big question during his life, if you think about it, was, who do you say that I am? Who am I? And people whose faith was raised in places like this, evangelical, charismatic, or Pentecostal churches, we would say, first of all, Jesus, you're God. You're the Son of God. Sitting underneath that as God, you knew what was coming. 
why it was coming, because it was the plan and being God who knows everything past, present, future, you knew what it would be like. Now, if this is as far as your answer to Jesus' question goes, then you've got a problem. Because if Jesus essentially is God with skin on, or just wearing a human mask pretending to be one of us, then these questions on the cross, this question on the cross really makes no sense. The temptation by the devil makes no sense. Because how do you really tempt an all-powerful, perfect God? It's meaningless. And Gethsemane, look at this, little, uh, this a little earlier in the piece. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. He threw himself on the ground and he prayed, if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. Abba Father, remove this cup from me. What's all that angst about if he's just God? What indeed? You see, historic Christian teaching is that Jesus was fully human and fully divine, both. The belief that Jesus was God with skin on is the heresy called docetism. You can Google it, D-O-C-E-T-I-S-N. And then at the other side, there's the matching heresy, is that Jesus was just a fully human, not divine at all, a good man. And that's quite common in liberal Christianity. We worship Jesus, who was the divine Son of God, who truly became one of us. Fully human. Now we're heading into mysterious territory here, I know. Jesus, who walked around Judea, was not some sort of superman. He did his miracles in the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that is our driving force today. The same Spirit who empowered him to resist temptation and to discern people's motives and needs. Jesus in Gethsemane and here on the cross sort of lifts the lid on his inner emotional world and lets us see in. Now, in between times, he's been tried several times, he's been flogged, but we don't hear what's going on for him until he's on the cross and he speaks out this anguish. The full realisation of what this cross entails that had started to erupt within Gethsemane with this pain here is now in full flow. And that pain, that physical pain, that psychic pain, that spiritual pain is probably scarcely bearable. I don't think he quotes the words of Psalm 22 to be clever or to reference the ultimate triumph of the cross because I, th I think he quotes it because it fits how he's feeling. Maybe the sight of the soldiers casting lots for his robe triggered the thought, I, I don't know. But I think we should take him at his word that he was in anguish and not try to explain that away as something else. The Trinitarian veil is lifted. We don't have Jesus here saying, it's okay, I've got this covered, like Bruce Willis in some sort of Hollywood action movie. 
we hear a very human, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Massive doubt behind that question. Father, am I still your beloved son? Where are you? I I can't see you. I can't sense your presence. Who am I without your fellowship and your love? This is quite a journey for Jesus, who said in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. And in John 14.9, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Now he's saying, where are you, Dad? Like little Brian, in the moment that he realizes that his parents are not coming to get him, I imagine his world collapses. However, in amongst this profoundly deep anxiety and pain is faith. Jesus doesn't say, God, where are you? Or our God, where are you? But my God. And he repeats it, my God. He's clinging to the Father, to his relationship with him, even while he probably feels like he's drowning. Not only the physical pain or the fluid in his lungs making breathing hard or that overwhelming feeling of abandonment, but in taking the sins of the world on himself. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. He was made sin. What do you think that means? Have you ever done something wrong and you've just been eaten up in your conscience because of it? I've told you stories at times about the confessions I felt compelled to do shortly after coming to faith, like writing to World Vision to apologise for stealing from their collection. When you've lied to protect yourself, it can sit very, very heavily. True guilt or shame can sit on your shoulders like a dead weight. Hear this from Psalm 32. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was died up, dried up as by the heat of summer. We who sin every day and five times on Sundays have sensitivity towards sin to some extent. But for everything that Jesus experienced in being human up until that point, he had never previously experienced what it was to be a sinner, to sin. Yet on the cross, the guilt of every adulterous affair, every theft, every murder, every lie, every rape, all of it was put on him to the extent that Paul described it in Corinthians Corinthians as him having become sin. The embodiment of of everything wrong with the world from creation all the way through drops onto those tiny shoulders. This innocent man is awash in all the swell and feces of humanity, drowning in our guilt and shame. No wonder he cried out to God, 
Why have you forsaken me? And Paul goes on in Galatians. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus became a curse. The eternal Son of God gave up the throne of glory to become one of us, living with all the restrictions of what it is to be human, to die separated from his Father amidst all the ugliness of humanity. Now, normally in art, Jesus on the cross looks a bit like this guy. Bit sad, but stiff upper lip. For someone who never sinned, to suddenly know what it was to be a liar, a thief, a murderer, a rapist, to know the pain that all of us have caused to each other all through human history, unhidden by excuses or rationalization or self-serving denial. But in that picture, where is the pain? Where is the anguish, the disgust at becoming sin and all its filth, the revulsion at our base nature, the grief of being abandoned? Jesus has faith, yes, but also doubt and anger, close to rage. He's raging. I think that's a bit more like it. But running out of gas by the end of the quote. It's confronting, it's uncomfortable, but it's closer to the mark. Okay. What is hopeful about this verse? Two things, I think. One is that empowered by the Spirit, Jesus still had faith in his Father. My God, my God is clinging language. My daddy, my daddy, little boy clutching to your, to your leg. But for a dying man, that's clinging language. He was not letting go, despite what he must have been feeling. It's one thing. And the second thing is, our God knows it, what it is to be human. Because Jesus walked our path on earth, dealt with disappointment, loneliness and betrayal, just as we do, and having fun with each other like we do. But because of the cross, he also knows what it is to sin. He's seen it through our eyes. As Paul said, he became sin for us. He is truly one with us. We can bring our sins to him in the knowledge that he gets it. He looked through the eyes of everyone who's ever sinned while he was on that cross. He knows what it is to be us from the inside out. We need, I think, to bring our baggage to the cross and leave it there. Let's leave our lesser moments at the cross. Al's going to play for us right now while we take a minute just to bring our sins and struggles and to leave them at the cross. Please use this prayer if it's helpful to do your business with God. And at the end of our time of confession, we'll pray it through together.
exhale. Let's pray. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Would the musicians please come back up? Our last song is uh, Broken Vessels, which talks about the fact that um, we as people are broken, um, but it's also through God's amazing grace. As you know, the song Amazing Grace. Um, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So anyone can come to God, uh, despite uh, what states we're in, um, and he can help make us whole again. So just stand uh, and sing with us, Broken Vessels, Amazing Grace. All these pieces broken and scattered In mercy gathered, mended and whole But not forsaken, I've been set free, I've been set free. Now I 
to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing to the only God our Saviour through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, power and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. We have some sausage rolls to attend to.